into the club podcast. Um, started it back up, basically. Um, it was a bit of an arsehole before. Um, it was great chatting to guests, whether they're pro golfers or whoever they were. Especially with the pros, it was a it's a bit of a mission to organise all the podcasts, do all the logistics of it, and then when you got to chat to them, if they weren't someone I already knew, um, people were different. But if they weren't someone I already knew, you you couldn't have a full open conversation. And the the podcasts I like to listen to, they're outside of golf. They very much just sound like a chat in a kitchen or a chat in the pub between two two friends and they're kind of a two-way conversation so in my head I thought well why don't I do that but with people that I know already that I've kind of got a good relationship with already um in golf whether through working in golf for however many years um and just kind of lots of different interesting people and just have kind of long-form chats with them that can go anywhere really so I started off with, so I've basically just gone through my phone book, got lots of people that are actually really, I find really interesting. And um, yeah, the first one that you're going to listen to now is with Ollie Briggs, who's a friend of mine. He's been a caddy on the European tour for six or seven years. And he's, his insight is fantastic. And he's not really afraid to kind of uh, voice his opinion and give his opinion on things, um, as many caddies aren't, to be fair. Um, but yeah. Here, this is the first hour of it. If you'd like to listen to the second hour, you can see that you can listen to that over on our Patreon. Um, it's about a fiver, I think. Um, so basically, for the sake of we'll do two podcasts a month over on the Patreon, you can listen to the first hour for free, um, and the second hour um, will be over on our Patreon for the cost of a pint. So if you enjoy it, pop over to the Patreon for a fiver um, for two hours of entertainment. You know, just source out a pint. Okay, without any further ado, this is me and Ollie Briggs. Briggsy, what are you up to? Sat at home? Uh, I wish I was sat at home. That would mean I'm in Cape Town, but uh, I'm sat at my parents' house. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just in between Preston and Lytham, watching the Scottish Open. I thought I thought I thought you said that you um when you're off golf you don't want to watch golf or deal with golf people. Usually I, I don't. I just deal with deal with golf people. I just don't like uh, playing golf when I'm off work. Um, but I watch the odd bit of tournament golf. It's Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon now. Sorry, so uh, I'll just watch a couple of holes before I go for an afternoon walk or something. See how the lads are getting on. Yeah, I suppose. Um... When so when are you back out? Um, should be um, so next week's Wentworth. Uh, Nikolai Hoygaard, the kid I work for, um, he doesn't get into any of these tournaments. His rankings not quite as high as his brothers. Um, yeah. So after Wentworth, there is a little stretch of tournaments. Uh, one is at the Fairmont in St Andrews, and then we're off to Lake Garda in Italy, which will be lovely. And then there's two weeks in Cyprus, which. Uh, which will be fantastic. The last time I was in Cyprus, it was a, a lad's holiday in Ayanapa. So. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be uh, slightly different. A bit or more, maybe, yeah, a bit more relaxed. <laughs> well, I played that Fairmont. Uh, that these, uh, It could be horrendously windy up there. I think everyone's expecting to wear four or five layers a day, but um, 
And I've been up there a few times. I've carried there in a seniors event once. And, uh, well, the hotel's stunning. And the golf courses are fantastic. I, I don't know if they're doing a hybrid of the two or just playing one of them. But um, they're well designed and they, they take into consideration the elements. So I'm pretty sure walking with a brolly on your side and trying not to get blown away will be part of the fun. Yeah, I remember. I literally remember we went and did a filming thing with with Puma up there, and it was. If you don't know the Fairmont, it's literally the most exposed place in St Andrews, isn't it? Like oh, it's, right, yeah. right on the cliff. Yeah, it's and, right on top of the hill. When you when you're down on the old course and on the traditional links down there, you look up onto this hill. Usually, you can't see it for the clouds or the <laughs> mist, and uh, there's just this. It almost looks like the Adams family home on top of the hill, isn't it? And then. Uh, there's this golf course just on top of the cliffs there. Some of the, I think some of the holes you play out over the like ravines and stuff. It's bloody. Oh, bloody yeah, I, I, I remember. I remember just basically getting absolutely drenched, and you know you get so drenched that you just don't even care anymore. It's like there's no point in even worrying about getting wet. You're just, it's just gone past that. The wind is past. It's freezing everything, and you're still out there because you're just kind of almost stuck out there. To walk in, it would be a long way. Oh, exactly. May as well just play on with it. Yeah, so we were just playing on, just absolutely chopping it. Yeah. And I just remember playing this, this amazing hole with a wall down the left. Uh, I don't know if you remember it. It's, there's a big, there's a, like an old, well, I don't know if it's an old wall. Wall down the left and then the cliff and the ocean is on the left. And then you're basically hitting towards the towards the sea. There was a wind into our face. You would know the exact, but it, it must have been like 50 or 60 miles per hour. And I remember I hit a good drive, which was like the first one ever of the day. And then I hit a five iron from, I'd say, 120 yards. That's about right. Played it from behind my back foot, ripped it like really low, and thought that's like as good as I could hit this ball. And it just, I think it came up about 40 yards short. Yeah, so about eighty yards. I'm, expect, was, I'm expecting lots of that in a few weeks' time. I mean, obviously, these guys playing. That's when I find these guys, like the tour players, when they play in these bad conditions, and they're still like, I don't know, they can still go round in near par or under par. I find that like unbelievable in these conditions. Mm. Do you know when? Obviously, when you see them, just how well they strike the ball. Well, yeah. I mean, if you watched, I don't know if anybody watched the, the golf this morning and the weather was horrendous at the Renaissance and the guys were still getting it round under par. Foxy put it put it round nicely, like a grin, uh, Gussie works for. Had a lovely day and then, like I said, just watching it now and there's not a breath of wind. It seems to have eased up a little bit. So those boys who got it under par this morning did an unbelievable job. And like you say, these guys strike it so, so well. The, the ball almost flies through the air. You know, it's like we're as mere mortals. We're used to trying to uh, keep everything on the planet. These guys strike it that well. The wind sometimes doesn't even affect it, and they just use it as a tool to uh, to get the ball where they want to get it. Whereas we're always fighting against it, aren't we? Yeah, mate. I had a whole weekend of doing this down in Kent at Prince's. It was. I've not. I don't play much golf, and then when you do, and then you go out in that, and you're crap at golf like I am. Uh, it's brutal. It's, it's horrendous. It's just horrendous. And then I started, you know, just thinning wedge shots and stuff. And you're just like, what am I doing out here? Add in a Sunday hang- hangover and it's, yeah. Yeah, it's what, what golf's horrible. about at our level. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm. Do you, have, you, have you played any golf? 
Um, you know what? I actually have a little bit. Um, during lockdown, when they started to ease some of the stuff, I was that much. I had that much cabin fever. I actually went to a nearby driving range um, at Lytham, Lytham Golf Academy, and I got a, actually got a lesson. I thought, well, if I'm going to hit a few balls and you know get a little bit of enjoyment out of it again, I, I need a little bit of instruction. So um, I went to yeah Lytham Golf Academy. And uh, former tour pro James Robinson, who's from Lytham, uh, is the pro there. So I just uh, flicked him through a text and said, can you squeeze me in tomorrow? And he gave me a lesson, got me actually hitting the ball properly to some effect. And then um, a lot of friends, obviously, I grew up in Penrith in the Lake District. And um, like at Lytham, they've got this new golf tracer uh, uh, like radar technology at the driving range. And you're, you're hitting balls into a virtual we hit balls down the range, but uh, behind you is a touchscreen, and uh, you can play like the old course. You can play Pebble Beach, and then they do challenges like uh, close to the pin, hole in ones, and stuff like that. So it actually makes the monotony of hitting balls and practicing a little bit fun. So there was a group of us lads that used to go along to the range up there whilst everyone was furloughed, and uh, used to play for a little bit of money. It was actually, I actually quite enjoyed it again. Yeah, because you, I remember playing golf with you um, up at Penrith, which it was, which was cool up there. I like it up there. It's like a really unique place, isn't it? Mm, that yeah, of course, it's got the views are unbelievable from that. Yeah, place. amazing yeah. views. It's a cool place um, up there. I just remember you kind of just not really liking playing golf. I thought we played about seven holes before you wanted to give up. Yeah, I mean, I was never really any good. I think my lowest handicap was three, but I probably always hung around the four and five territory. Um, but when you spend all the t- all your life with these guys um, on tour and you see what they do and you just automatically think that you can do it. And the harsh reality is, is that you're nowhere near it, are you? No. <laughs> no. And to get, and to obviously having not played, well, and having not been a member of a club, um, well, since 2011, maybe, Um to then try and play and get back to some form of standard that you consider acceptable, you know, even if I was to play to seven or eight, I yeah. mean, it's going to take a lot of practice or a lot of, you know, lessons and a lot of consistency. And that's just something that we don't get in, uh, in the caddying world is because like, like you, like I'm going through right now, I've got two weeks off and then I've got possibly four weeks back on the road. Hopefully then the South African government opened the borders up. I can go back home for a week or two and the European tour is going to announce some more tournaments, hopefully, uh, you know, maybe a few down there, the rumours are, maybe a few in the Middle East. Um, so you just never know what you're doing and where you are. So to try and keep up some form of golf game for me, it's just, for me, it's not really worth it. I don't want to put the time in and then not being able to play. I kind of get that same feeling and I, 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 I just don't play enough. I played loads when I was 15, 14 and got down to like six. So that's kind of my, where I think I can play because mm. in your head, you still think you're there. Then mm. you go out and play. And I must just—I was, you know—I was struggling to break a hundred at the weekend, and the weather—it was—it was a joke, and it was just not enjoyable. Yeah. And like you say, I literally need to go and get lessons or have a few lessons, like hit the range and hit the just grind out balls for a while. I just don't really have the time to to do that. No, so I, I mean, do enjoy going out sure the should, should, Some of my but, caddy friends, caddy friends, some of my caddy friends will tell me that I've got lots of time to get. Uh, to get good at golf because we have so much time off but for me it's just a lack of consistency there and it's like i've said it to a few people before when they go oh do you want to come for a game next week you know some of my mates got in touch with me from uh from bolton where i was born um 
a few weeks ago and they were like, oh, come for a game. And uh, I was like, guys, the last thing I want to do, because at the end of the day, I spend all my time on a golf course. Why do I want to spend my time off on a golf course? And uh, it's like when you're, I've got a few friends who are chefs and uh, it's like them. You you always see chefs getting takeaways or, you know, (laughs) not generalizing here, but uh, the last thing a chef wants to do is go home and cook a big slap up meal for him and his wife, isn't it? They just want to get a bloody takeaway or a pizza or something. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's one kind of um, like maybe a misconception. I kind of, think it a little bit of just even working in golf but I'm not around golf every day like Mm. like you are but because it's so many people's hobby and passion which I get and it is mine as well and I'm sure it's yours as well but when you're working in it um and then when you're like yourself who's working in it every day on a golf course every day because it literally is every day seven days on the road isn't it and then Mm. you're at the next course the next the next time aren't you Mm. I tell you what I I've actually thought about this if a lot of the guys who live in America play a lot of golf and some of the guys that live abroad, I think a lot of it's to do with the weather as well is because especially on the European tour, we uh, seem to chase the sun almost, don't we? Yeah. So the, the prospect of then going home and not having the sun, uh, <laughs> and wanting to traipse around a golf course with uh, inclement weather is not really high on my priority list. But, uh, you know, when I, since I've moved to South Africa, um, probably had a few times where I thought oh I might like to go and play or hit some balls but uh it's very far very few and far between I'd probably rather be in a national park watching some lions or being <laughs> that's in a winery or something that's what I was going to ask you actually was like I obviously know a little bit but like how much has this the pandemic changed your life like, as in from the I mean it's from the start of the year isn't it when was the last time you were back in South Africa I mean you moved there what was it like two years ago three years ago nearly five years ago it seems like two or three yeah Yeah. um I have not been home since the middle of February um I flew out I actually got told off by South African immigration because I this is something I didn't know and I should have known um I entered back into South Africa to go and work at the Leopard Creek at the start of the year um, yeah, yeah. and then after the European swing had finished and then uh, we went to Mauritius and I, you get 90 days on your tourist visa when you're in South Africa and um, we went to Mauritius for a tournament and I came back and my passport got stamped so I thought perfect there's another 90 days and um, Nikolai was due to play a load of uh, tournaments in South Africa whilst the desert swing was on. So where people are playing at Abu Dhabi and Dubai Desert Classic and Saudi Arabia, we were in South Africa. So it was perfect for me because I could drive to all the tournaments. So I thought, oh, this is perfect. I planned my 90 days and it led right up until um, Oman. Uh, So the week before Oman, I actually uh, realized that my uh, visa, my tourist visa was due to expire about four days prior to me actually being scheduled to leave. And to get an extension is quite difficult. Um, okay. So I got, on a, I got on a plane and went to Botswana for a day and then stayed the night and then came back. And then um, the woman nearly didn't let me back in South Africa. That was a bit of a, I said that was a little bit of a, a heartbeat moment. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was the last time I was back down there. So I had a little bit of fun with South African immigration who eventually let me back in because obviously I'd had all my flight schedules booked and a big round trip back to the UK. Um, which is what they were wanting me to do. Um, so that was the last time I was there. And then after India got cancelled, we did Oman and Qatar. And after India got cancelled, um, 
yeah, I got stuck in England and here I am still. Yeah, and I mean, you've got a house and your missus back there, right? Yeah, yeah, we've actually moved house two days ago, although she has, she's done everything. So we moved from Johannesburg down to Cape Town, um, yeah. which is, I don't know if anyone listening to this has ever been to Cape Town. It's possibly the most beautiful place on planet Earth. And um, I've got really lucky, I've got a lot of family down there. So she's just, she's just took straight into the support network down there, which is uh, brilliant. And to be honest, that's where me and her pretty much spend a lot of our time when I'm off work anyway, because we like the walking in the mountains down there. We like the wineries and we like the beaches. But you just haven't been able to go back, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So they just put a complete clamp down on the border. Uh, so the only people that could come in and out are the golfers, you know, uh, sportsmen, uh, businessmen yeah. with proper business visas. Um, yeah, that's it. And people that were repatriating. So yesterday, the 1st of October, uh, no, today's the 1st of October, yesterday, the 30th, the uh, South African government released a, li- a list of countries that you're able to fly in from or be a passport holder of. And um, yeah, unfortunately, the UK doesn't, doesn't doesn't sit on that list so, literally and it, it's been what seven months or whatever what have you and it, yeah. it's still um up in the air really well yeah it's just like the life of a caddy we constantly have our lives up in the air um yeah I, I, to be honest when it all first kicked off and uh me and my missus had a really good chat about when it is i'm likely to be able to come home she obviously couldn't come here despite her having a visa because the visa that she has wasn't uh, a business one, so she couldn't get out of the country. Um, so basically, I just kind of said to her, let's just say the 1st of November, I might see you again, and let's just play it for anything. Anything better than that from there is uh, an absolute bonus. And it looks like that that might be, will be the case. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a, yeah, it's such a, just, yeah, it's such a long time. And it like... I guess a lot of people that have gone through this have been have been able to go home. I guess you're lucky in the sense that you've got a lot of your obviously your family and your parents and stuff up in the northwest, um, so you can kind of settle in with them to some extent. Yeah, I mean, my mum and dad have been very uh, patient, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, but yeah, they're lucky that obviously my brothers don't live here anymore, really. So it's just been me, and I I try and get out of the house as much as possible, so I'm stay out of everybody's way. But yeah, it's been a, it's been interesting to say the least. Yeah, so we've golf back on, and and the, I mean the schedule the schedule is sporadic. Anyway, I guess it's it's kind of regular. And then if you're with a player uh, like Nikolai, who's in and out of tournaments, uh, is the Challenge Tour just completely off? No, there's actually a Challenge Tour tournament on right now in uh, in Italy, but just because of the COVID risk allegedly um but just because of the implications and how hard it is the european tour just said um we're not going to have any um caddies that or, or member or guests or anything at challenge tour events this year so it just basically reduces the amount of people that are on site reduces the risk reduces everything yeah. very sensible approach to be honest so um at that point then you know, Nikolai said, oh, well, there's not really any point in, in playing the Challenge Tour. There's not been a full schedule. There's not the usual, um, you know, promotion this year. There's only a couple of spots being held back. Um, so with the opportunities that he's had through his category on the main European Tour, you know, which gets him in pretty much everything except for the, the really big stuff, he's just kind of made the decision, well, let's just play 
um, the big stuff. And, you know, if you have a good week and manage to knock off a win, then that kind of promotes you for next year, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm just kind of thinking of it from a, well, not, not a planning point of view, but just where you're going to be each week. I guess you kind of know, but then previously you'd have gone back to South Africa, right? Whereas now you're kind of yeah, going absolutely. to play and going back to Livam, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is what it is. I actually was quite, I thought I might be able to have the opportunity to, um, to fly back to South Africa tomorrow because the, all the BA flights came back online. And I thought, oh, so I had a little look and thought, right, maybe I'll, uh, you know, get myself a seat reserved on one of those and hope that the uh, the visa thing changes for South Africa, but it never did. So I was going to go back to South Africa for, for this next week and then come back for to work for four weeks um, in those smaller European tour events. Yeah, and I, I, well, the prize funds have been kind of lower as well, haven't they, for these European tour events? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, European tours usually playing around two million, one point five, three million, um, and then obviously you have got your big Rolexes, which are fantastic. They're at seven million. Um, yeah, but obviously just to get it all going again and get some consistent playback, the tour have done a great job, and they really have in um, getting all these tournaments on. And yeah, they might only be for a million, um, but at the end of the day, everyone needs to win a tournament at some point. Every someone has the opportunity to make a lot of money every week and the points are still there and you're still playing to uh, to play in Dubai on the final tournament of the year and that's still got its big prize money and all its world ranking points. So yeah, a perfect example is actually the, the brother of the guy I'm working for, Rasmus. I mean, that's UK swing. He's, I think, what do you have? Three top fives, four top fives and a win. His world he's ranking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's, what is he now? 66 in the world or something? So it just goes to show you, you know, he managed to qualify for the US Open, um, put himself in a great position to uh, get in for the US PGA next year. And if he has a, if he continues to have a good year, he might well be in the Masters next April. Yeah, well, there's a there's a funny thing about that, isn't there? With uh, oh yeah, next April as opposed to the November one. Yeah, uh, yeah Daniel, Daniel Berger. Yeah, uh, like killing it, but uh, not in that, but. Yeah, well, I was thinking more in the, in the sense of like for the caddies, like, um, you've had a kind of a few good years, um, previously, but for the for some of the caddies, if you've not saved up a bit of cash or sorted yourself out before what's going on, what's happened this year, like, I'm sure for a few of the guys, cash flow has been an issue, right? I'm um, sure, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has. I know a lot of guys have taken jobs during this time off uh delivery driving jobs some you know some guys just took a uh, laboring jobs um that's one guy got a really nice job on the with the on the railways so that was fantastic um but yeah i mean some guys just had to go and some guys i know have taken the rest of the year off and uh told, yeah. the, told the players i'm not going to come and work for the rest of the year i'm just going to go and continue to do this and i'll see you again next year um yeah it's been a it's been interesting and like you said if some of the guys haven't had a, a good, you know, a good few years and they're down on their, you know, savings or, you know, you know, like life changes. It's like a roller coaster. Um, yeah, they probably have had to take other, take other routes. Uh, fortunately, our government's been exceptional, hasn't it, in uh, providing some form of support through furlough schemes and, you know, bounce back loans and things like that to try and keep people buoyant. Um, and we had, well, we had Finno, Ian Finnis, who carries from Fleetwood, Finno did that wonderful auction um 
of all the golf memorabilia and everything, and that raised a little bit of money. So that topped a few guys up, which was fantastic. It, would it, so would, you went a bit over the top on how good the government is there, but we'll Sorry. let that <laughs> No, but we are, because the only reason I say that, as I know you lean to the left, the only reason <laughs> I say that is because obviously we're now world of caddying, we've got all our chat forums, and you've got blokes in there who are from you know other European countries that haven't been afforded the same amount of uh, yeah. you know of support that our government's offered us. And then you talk to the South African guys, you know, the, the country where I spend all my time. I mean, some of them weren't even able to get uh, mortgage breaks, you know, mortgage holidays. Some of them had to carry on paying the rent. It was really, really difficult. So, you know, we're very fortunate in this country to have the ability to be able to do that. I'm sure either yeah. party would have done the same. Right. Well, yeah, sure that would have been the, fine. Uh, the government's <laughs> turned socialist for a few months, hasn't it, basically? It's given everyone a glimpse, glimpse of what it could be. Suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> uplands. But, but, um, yeah, it's it, that's what's. I was kind of just thinking, just thinking about if prize funds are down and there's less tournaments. By virtue of that, the caddies are going to be earning less money. So therefore, your job is, you know, less sustainable. Um, and yeah, you can have the. We're trying to get in Dubai, but not everyone can get in Dubai um, and earn money there. So it. it it's 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 not easy. I I'm always kind of reluctant to talk about this because, and I'm sure caddies are as well because people look at it on the TV and look down the money list and then go, well, caddies on ten percent or whatever, which is actually a bit high, isn't it? For for most. Yeah, it's not. It's ten percent if you get a win. Yeah, um, but which is down the money list. Oh, he's on that player, so his percentage is that or what have you. But um, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I don't know if people. And I, what the reason the reason I say I'm reluctant because everyone struggles. It's just maybe people in professional sport don't think of. No one's got much sympathy for you, especially when you're saying oh, I'm off to Mauritius or wherever. <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult, especially in the life of the golfers uh, and the caddies. Of course, I speak for the caddies because um, we get to go to some glorious parts of the world, and we really, really do. Um, but ultimately, you've got responsibilities and things to pay for. So as good as it is to go to Mauritius, like, for example, I did at the end of last season, uh, working for Bjorka. That was my last week with Alex Bjorka, actually, before we decided to call that one. And um, we missed the cut. I mean, Mauritius is an expensive place. The flights were flights were 350 quid return. My accommodation for the week was, I think it was just under 400. Um, you get paid 1,000 for the week that week. Um, food and you know, food and beverage just in an evening or, you know, we're cooking or if you go out for a meal, you got a higher car for the week, which is about £200. So all of a sudden you go into work for the week and yes, it's you're in Mauritius and it's the end of the year, but not every week can be like that, can it? Because some weeks, you know, some weeks you go into, let's say, less glamorous places like Eastern Germany and uh, as nice as some of the places are, we go there, the weather can be miserable, it can be just as expensive. Uh, you spend all your evening trying to dry out a golf bag and dry your own clothes and dry your feet and not get athlete's foot and trench foot and you know and it's just miserable. Um, and then you finish the week, your your player misses the cut, and all of a sudden it's not as glamorous as what everyone thinks it is. No, do you uh, that kind of gets me thinking about like just the kind of you know the the wellness or the kind of the mental health of the guys, and I guess you've got the support of each other. I think the caddies tend to be quite. Um, good for sticking together a little bit, do they? Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got your little, um, 
your little cliques or your little factions within the caddies. So we've got like a big union that that we're all like a, a member of, or some or most of us are, and we kind of organise ourselves through that. And then um, from that, you've got your, your blokes that you knock about with, or your girls that you knock about with, you travel with. So I've got a group of guys that you know I'll consistently travel with to each event and stay with. We'll rotate it round, stay in houses together. Sometimes twin up in a hotel or you know sometimes you know i've talked about the expense of some of the weeks some of the weeks you can't spend your money because of the countries that we're in you know so we used to go to thailand and everyone knows how cheap thailand can be so once you get over there and usually you're over in asia for you know three weeks or so um it's just easy enough to get your own hotel room and you're all in the same hotel or you're all in the same apartment block and it just becomes an absolutely fantastic it's fantastic experience there um, but like I said, when you've got that group of friends that you all travel with, it's, it can be brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you kind of keep yourselves, keep keep everybody going. Yeah, that's what I kind of mean. And like normally when people work together, you're kind of all, you know, in a normal office or in a normal, you're kind of all on the same level and you're all kind of um, experiencing the same things together. But it might be on, well, I think this is in in elite sport, but especially in professional golf. It might be the the four of you that kind of you know room together or travel together or whatever. One of you's had a win, two top tens, and a you know another finish. One of you's missed four cuts and you know has been on the road for seven weeks or something. And I guess you've just got to do look out for that guy and kind of keep an eye on that. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely you know I mean, we all go through bad p- patches like with any kind of professional sport and players to have big dips in forms and and vice versa and the caddies are great with making sure you know if one of my good friends won the other week he caddies for Garrick Higo the uh the left-hander from South Africa and um and he's going to be a player right oh yeah he's going to be a joke yeah really really good just already at 19 he's he looks like an almost a complete player and mm. um you know we went to Lisbon on the this was a, we're in Obidosh we're in and then we went to Lisbon on the Sunday night and he took uh, he took a group of us out for dinner and you know, naturally paid for it all and looked after us all. And it was a really, really nice evening. And, you know, and you just look out for people in that sense that, you know, you're having a you're having a good time. You just keep an eye out for each other in that sense and understand that because we've all been there when it's not going well. Um, we all know how it is. So there's a, there's a lot of generosity flying around. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess you've all experienced. Well, most of you would have experienced the highs and lows. So you mm. can kind of both ways i guess really well yeah 90 percent of the time you're experiencing the lows aren't you there's only <laughs> yeah, yeah just to be honest um, to be where honest. did you go in lisbon? sorry where did you go in lisbon um i love lisbon I, I i've only been there once but i loved it when i went there oh yeah it's fantastic what. and i tell you what on the friday before so the friday of uh the portugal masters uh which is the one down in villamora that's when portugal went back on the quarantine list Um, so by the time we got up to Lisbon we went straight into the bubble if you will for the tournament and then um, by the time we got to Lisbon on the Sunday night we um, all the hotel prices had been slashed it was like a third third of the price and the town (laughs) the city was pretty much dead other than you know European tourists obviously Britain has a very big influence in the tourism there so um, so we went to stay stayed in a place called Brown's downtown hotel like a boutique hotel it's absolutely fantastic and then um 
we went to a place called, oh, I can't remember. It's like a steak on the stone place. It was 12 euros, but it's like someone's front kitchen. And uh, you just get this big chunk of meat on a hot volcanic stone, get loads of salts, um, like a bit of mustard and mayos and stuff and cook your own steak. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember good food, good wine. I went. I remember we went to. I went with the missus, and we went to like an Angolan restaurant or something. Mm. It was well different, but they were class. It was so nice, and yeah, just nice people. And yeah, yeah. This was in the old town. Um, yeah, it was in the old town down by the down by the water. like a big square down there with a big statue in the middle of it. I'm absolutely absolutely butchering my travel advice here for Lisbon, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I, one thing I do remember, I remember being there and we, we went for a bar, we went to some bar in, yeah, and kind of looking down on the town, I think. And uh, there were like, there was some guy just going a bit nuts, like you get in any place, you know, in any city. I don't know what he was doing. He was just shouting in Portuguese. But every, like the police were there and they just looked so casual. One had a fag on, like another one was, they were just walking around and they kind of just walked up to this guy. They ended up hugging him and you'd think like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what was going on, but they seemed to be so chill. Um, and there didn't seem to be any real problems in the town. There wasn't really any, I didn't see any homeless people or anything like that. But the, yeah, the, the police, like, was so chilled out. Um, and we were just kind of watching this like a little show. Um, and I think they ended up just, like, shaking hands with this guy who was going nuts. Well, they've I don't completely know changed their attitude to uh, drugs and everything out there, haven't they? So... It, yeah, uh, well, they are still illegal, but there's a lot less harsh punishments for them now, or something, isn't there? I'm sure. Yeah, like a health, uh, it's treated as a health issue as opposed to yeah. a crime issue, isn't it? Uh, it? Seems to make sense to me. Yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I love Lisbon's guy. Oh, Lisbon's do you, class. Do you, do you, I guess you don't always get to go to like if you're near a city or near Lisbon, then you can pop into a city and have a look around, can't you? Whereas quite often you're at kind of resorts that might be a bit tucked away, right? Yeah, exactly. So, for example, that week's a perfect example. So you're an hour north of Lisbon, uh, Royal Obidosh, great little course, uh, Sevi design one, and it's next to Praia del Rey. But then where you are there on top of the dunes where we were staying, um, to the south of it is a place called uh, Peniche. Um, there's a little beach there called Balial, which is like surfing capital um, of Portugal, let's say. And then to the north of it, you have that Nazare where they're mega where mega waves are like 100 foot high waves yeah you always see them on it's once a year isn't it where it comes isn't it the oh, wave it's ridiculous mate what a place that is i uh, highly recommend anybody goes there and um we actually i ended up spending a few days after the tournament nikolai ended up injuring his hip um so he pulled out of the irish open so i decided to stay for a few days and actually go back to where we were and go and visit these little beach villages if you will and what a great time I had there. That was that was brilliant. So that was one of the few times where I actually got to, uh, you know, drive past all these wonderful places on your way to the golf course. And you couldn't stop because you had to go to work and you were in the bubble. So you couldn't technically get out your car. And then eventually I got the opportunity to do that. So that was really cool to be able to do that. So what's the bubble? What, what do you mean? You literally. So when you're in the bubble, you literally go from hotel to course and you can't get out of the car. What, yeah. What so, it? yeah, well, the, the tour will try and European tour will try and manipulate it so that everybody can try and stay on site so for that remember that uk swing they did pretty much everybody could stay on site every week obviously close house that's not a not a chance um so we're all in central newcastle there um but for the rest of the time you know we went to places like forest of arden hambry manor there's hotels on site um 
But then for the ones since, you know, Valderrama, Portugal, Portugal, um, even this week in the Scottish Open, there's not enough accommodation on site. So, so what they do is um, they basically book out an entire hotel, and it's that hotel's basically on on a lockdown. You're not allowed out of it. Um, yeah. You know, no one can come into it really. Um, and um, and then what you have is that's your bubble. So you get in your car in the morning from your hotel room, a privacy hotel, get in the car, you know, drive however far it is to the golf course, um, get into the golf course, check yourself in, and then you're at the golf course for the day, finish your work and go back to the hotel. So it's it's pretty draconian, but it's, I suppose it's the way it has to be for now. Um, yeah. But that is exactly what it is. It's, and it's, and it's, it's taken a lot more toll than what people probably thought it would. People would probably think it'd be quite easy going back to these lovely hotels that the tour arranged for you. Um, and they are great. You know, we've not had a bad hotel the whole time. And then, you know, you're just having quiet nights in and you're watching TV and stuff. And it's it sounds great on paper, but in reality, um, in reality, it's quite brutal because, you know, we're all world travellers, essentially, and we like to go and explore places. And even if it's somewhere, I say, like Edinburgh, you still want to go and have a little look around, try and find some nice restaurants that you've read up on on TripAdvisor, um, visit a few little, like, backstreet pubs that are proper little boozers from Edinburgh. And that's, that's what I like to do, is go and have a little look around, see what the locals do. And yeah. uh, you just not allowed, you, you can't do it. You just can't. And, you know, the one person that did get caught doing it, um, which was a complete kind of error of judgment slash mistake, he just got the protocols wrong. It was John Catlin, and he's kind of made up for that since with two wins, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, just—I yeah. think he just made a, a mistake. He turned up at a tournament registered, and he was supposed to go back to his hotel room and wait for his test result. And he just went to for somewhere for lunch. So it wasn't as if he maliciously broke anything. It was just a genuine, genuine misunderstanding, a genuine mistake. Massive shame because he's a really nice guy, that Catlin. Yeah, I remember seeing. Uh, I think Smithy. Jordan Smith tweeted like after seven weeks where he withdrawn just because it all got a bit much for him. And you can understand it. I think he'd been whatever, seven weeks. Well, I think he got yeah. Valderrama'd as well. Oh, right. <laughs> the, seventh, the, seventh, the seventh week was uh, at Valderrama. So if you yeah. don't get off to a good start round there, it pretty quickly gets on top of you. And if you've, yeah. if you've had... already struggling and then Valderrama comes at you. Yeah, exactly. And it's no surprise, for example, you've had... George Kitsaya win in Portugal. I remember sitting on the putting green with George and his caddy, JD. And JD came up to me and said, wow, I can't believe how like depressed everybody is or how the, the atmosphere and the mood was really, like, it was like in a lull. And everyone was just so, everyone was kind of just running on fumes, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and George just went, don't worry, JD, we'll use this to our advantage. We've had the last six weeks off. And he'd actually played a few weeks before in Sunshine Tour in South Africa where they weren't doing a bubble. They were just doing um, they were just doing a test every day when you turned up um, for your temperature and, and symptoms and stuff. So they had actually been able to play a lot of golf without this bubble and get his game sharp. And he turned up in Portugal and immediately already he's, um, he's he, feel, he felt like he had an advantage on the field because he was in such good spirits having just entered this this uh, this bubble. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you you can you can imagine it like like you mentioned. It's like it's not so much that you're in you're not in a nice hotel, but I just think you could put yourself anywhere. And if you haven't got that freedom to literally leave there, oh mate, it's it's it. We got into Hanbury Manor last minute, and um, 
we actually ended up having to stay at the Hilton at Stansted Airport, which was like the overflow hotel. It's where they put all the television staff, you know, like Tim Barter and uh, Radar and them and, and Richard Boxall. Yeah. So that all the TV staff are in there, all the guys that work behind the scenes. So we were just we just got piled into that place. And again, great hotel, nice and modern. Um, and just the little things like you were driving home from work and it was a 25 minute drive or whatever. And I've got Nikolai in with me and he was like, oh, I'd murder a Coca-Cola or like a nice, you know, bottle of Fanta or something or like a nice iced coffee that you pick up from us, you know, like from your petrol station and you weren't allowed to stop and get one. That's But quickly, that's what an elite athlete thinks, isn't it? As opposed to could murder a pint. Well, yeah. I mean, the pint's there in the hotel, so that's not a problem. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, there's little things like that. You know, you've had a long day on the course. It was particularly hot that week. And um, yeah, just little things like that. And you just find yourself going, oh, bugger, I can't do that. And you know, yeah. through no fault of anybody's, but it's it's a lot more difficult than what you probably thought it was going to be. Because um, I thought it would be quite nice, you know, stay in nice hotels, golf courses were brilliant, um, you know, and all the lads are around, all the players are there, it would be a really good crack, and it was to a certain extent, but then after a few weeks back to back, you know, just yeah. little things like, oh, I just want to go, you know, eventually they opened it up a little bit, you could go for a run in the local area, and you could go for a drive if you wanted, but also you can't get out your car, but then it's just like, is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? You, you're just, and even at the weekend, say you've missed the cup, and you're allowed to go home. So a few times, uh, Nikolai would fly home to Denmark if he finished early on a Friday morning. We could get yeah. him on a plane Friday night. He could go back home to Denmark, see his coach, uh, work on a few things, and fly back in Monday. I'd go back to either you know uh, the Lake District or to my parents' house, and um, and you you know as, as nice as it is to get away from it. At the time, they just opened the pubs again. Do you want to go and sit in a pub because that's a hot spot? You know, especially yeah. in the northwest, as we all know what it's like now. Do you want to go and put yourself in that position where you could be that guy? That one pint might cost you everything. It might yeah. cost you your player's place in the tournament. And you know, there's there's not been any instances of where people have been caught out like that. But um, it definitely plays on your mind. Do you want Do you want to be that guy? Is that basically where where you put so you putting pressure on yourself all the time? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, seven days is a long time, and. So, you know, if you're seven weeks or six weeks without that, it must, yeah, it must be hard. I, ha I remember having to isolate at the start of this whole thing. My missus works in the hospital, as you know, mm -hmm. and yeah, we, she caught it. And I, I was in the house for 14 days. Like, and we live in a flat, top floor flat, so I have no garden. Didn't leave the house for 14 days. Yeah. And I work from home, so I'm kind of used to it. But you just, you know, you do... Get crazy. <laughs> freedom so much when it's taken from you to st I, I mean that sounds like I'm some kind of prisoner or something yeah but you yeah. really do well, you've had a little taste for it haven't you I mean we've all been the same like the lads are coming home we're, we're lucky the tour sorts out with these nice exemption letters so when we've come back from Portugal after it was put on the list and after Nikolai pulled out when you land back here you're supposed to properly self-isolate aren't you yeah yeah um we're, Ours is a little bit more lenient, so we've got a little bit more flexibility. Um, obviously, you're still not supposed to go to the pub and restaurants and stuff like that, but um, just a little bit more flexibility in there and a little bit more freedom, just because we've obviously come from that biosecure environment and we get tested so regularly. So that's been nice. But um, yeah, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like them to continue doing this any longer than they have to. They'll probably do it to the end of the se end of the season. Yeah, well, to be fair, like, it sounds like um, 
it sounds like across sport from what I've seen elite sports done a pretty good job mm. of keeping I guess it comes down to money and they know they can get the testing private done and they know they're losing money if they don't get this they don't sort their shit out basically but you well, know yeah, they've all got contracts with television companies like the European tour you know will, yeah. will have one with Sky and or with broadcasters from around the world and um they will have to have minimum requirements to meet. So that's why they have to put these tournaments on. So, And if they don't, then they're contractually, probably contractually obliged to pay a lot of money back. And with the state of the world finances, probably not much money knocking about for them to do that. So they're just doing everything they can to get these tournaments on. I'm, su- I'm surprised the two Rolex events we've got now in Scotland and Wentworth, it's incredible that they've managed to keep those. I mean, that's that's some work that to be able to keep those. I th- we all thought, I thought as well, that it'd just be all... 1 million, 1.5 for the rest of the year and just grind out small tournaments. Yeah. Um, you know, and just get it done, get it, get the year done and then try and start again fresh next year. But to actually get this kind of prize money up, it gave everybody something to look forward to. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems, it does seem like sport has done quite a good job and people do, I think people, you know, like, you get the the football fans are moaning that they can't be back in the stadiums or all these things. But I mean, they've probably done well given all the things that go into putting on an event, a football match or putting on a golf tournament, Mm -hmm. the amount of staff and the amount of people there um, to to even get them going is a pretty bloody good effort, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even the golf, like a small European tour event, there's 500 plus people involved in it, you know, including players and caddies. You've got all the support staff, all the volunteers, um, all the television crew, all the statistical guys. It's unbelievable the amount of people that you've got to go through this, all these processes. So, yeah, but we need to get the football savings back open. <laughs> the Danish have done it, haven't they? There's, and uh, I think the Turks, the have, Turks have got them open. Shock horror, the Germans have got it as course, well. Yeah, of course they have. <laughs> I mean, Bolton Stadium can, can open because if they, if they open on the original plans, which is, what, 30% capacity, we've not had 10,000. And Reebok holds 30,000, 30, 30, 30% capacity. We we haven't even got that much, that, that many people fans coming for the last four or five years. So we're fine. We can definitely <laughs> socially distance in the Reebok. Business is normal. <laughs> Business is normal, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. They, uh, you, like, you are a proper diehard Bolton fan, aren't you? But it's not good times at the moment, is it? No, no. It's uh, it's quite depressing actually. Last I remember last last year, um, it was in Cran Montana, and uh, it was I think it was my birthday actually. Usually is in Switzerland, and it was the day that Bolton and Berry had to get their shit together, otherwise they'd go out of business. And uh, I remember a very good friend of mine, his dad used to pump a lot of money into Bolton in the glory days, the days of a cotcher. And um, he texted me and said, it's gone. We've lost it. And I didn't get upset, but it was genuinely like really annoyed and really, you know, quite sad. And yeah. um, it was it was really depressing at the time. And then it came through and transpired that we managed to save it. And, you know, I've not been able to get back to a game because obviously where I am down there uh, in South Africa, but it's been pretty grim, I have to say. And it's pretty grim, but it's nice to see that they're playing all the kids. And it's the only thing that we've got left at the club is our academy, apparently. So... Um, yeah, hopefully this year. I think we've lost every game so far, but uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully we can start to turn a corner and uh, at least get some wins back. It kind of yeah, it kind of does wor- worry me like that these lower league 
like I'm obviously a Spurs fan and it's slightly different. You're it's a different stratosphere. But outside of the Premier League and you're seeing it with these with these clubs that really are on the Well, like, they've been pillaged, haven't they? I mean look at Bolton. Bolton's a shocker. I mean Ed I don't know the complete ins and outs, but we had Eddie Davis, who was obviously the money man behind us. But everything was done at such with such precision back in the days when Big Sam was there. And yes, the club had huge debt, but it was operating and and you know and uh, servicing its debt, let's say. And then the minute that Eddie Davis turned a turn, t- took a turn for the worse and started to get ill, apparently that's when cracks started to appear, and he was reluctant to put as much money in anymore. But the the board wanted to carry on spending, and then we had a dodgy owner, and all of a sudden money starts. I think was it. What's he called Ken Anderson? He was paying himself something, something astronomical. He was like the twelfth highest paid chairman in the in the English football, and Bolton were bottom of League One. <laughs> and it just and you just sat there going, "This is absolutely preposterous." But I suppose that's that's happening all over now, isn't it? You know, vultures come in and try and create money out of uh, out of something which is like a family or a community. Uh, well, we were talking thing. about it just before, weren't we? About the golf club that. Um... Swinton Park mm. in Manchester or Salford. Yeah, is it? It's it's Salford, isn't it? You call it Salford. It is Salford, yeah. But it's it's Manchester, isn't it? Really, it's like Newcastle yeah. Gate says Newcastle. People from Gate yeah, don't yeah. like it, but it's like, it's like that we were talking before about how like it's just the 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 clubs running. It seems like the golf clubs running, and it's not like it only takes. I think for golf golf clubs all over the country, and the COVID is weirdly been a good thing for golf and playing but there are so many golf clubs that are running on not fumes but it would only take one little thing to just turn away wouldn't it yeah yeah absolutely and And i know swinton park i've seen someone i mean i've read all that and i've actually played it when i was a junior a good little golf club but you can see there's a lot more clubs going like that and where people are able to come in and Maybe capitalize on um, capitalize on on the, the how much the land's worth and sell it off to housing providers and things like that. I mean, it's it's quite scary, really, that it can be done so quickly and without really the members having any control over it. How these committees, if you will, can just make well, decisions anyone, without anybody. For anyone that doesn't know, it, it it is quickly, but then it's almost like this is what freaks me out. It's like people can like these kind of greedy people can almost they can play the long game because they know they're going to earn some serious coin out of it i think they know um, the system they know they're experienced in the system um yeah. it's just absolutely incredible that uh yeah you get to a point where the members actually have zero say whatsoever in um in how the clubs run it's just you've all of a sudden the power has been hijacked hasn't it well yeah basically in in this situation with uh to cut to I mean, it's a very detailed, long thing that's been going on a while. But basically, they built regular golf club in Salford, in amongst a load of houses, kind of an oasis on a green oasis in amongst a load of housing. They built uh, a new clubhouse. Some committee had signed it off. A builder was one of the members who um, charged them. It went a bit over budget. The committee obviously signed it off, which is talking about golf committees not being fit for purpose is a whole other thing but yeah, we can get on that, that later the golf club got into financial trouble this builder and a couple of his pals bailed them out in inverted commas then they've ran the club down suddenly sold it 
well, had an offer of 30 million to sell it to a housing company. This hasn't gone through. Um, but they have, now they've literally, the last couple of days, have sacked all the greenkeepers, shut the club, because the if it's not viable as a business, they're, they're more likely to get permission for planning or something like that. And it's just like, I was quite, I, I just kind of thought this could happen to so many golf clubs across the country, so many. And especially after COVID with all the economic things and golf was struggling for people anyway, let alone, and COVID might have given it a little kind of a little boost, but will it be just putting it like a, a plaster over a, something yeah, that was... It's almost COVID's an extra nail in the coffin for some of these clubs, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, the golf club I grew up at, Penrith Golf Club, like you've played it, it's absolutely fantastic. Used to be run so well, and there's a lot of problems up there now, which uh, obviously I won't go into on a public broadcast. But <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's the same kind of thing. A group of people take control for the club. They they claim altruism and think that they're doing everything for everybody's best interest, but ultimately, it's their own, you know, maybe benign interest that they have or the 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 quest for power that they so want to have and be influential and these people quite frankly don't have a clue what they're doing and uh, I'm sure many people who, who might listen to this will think well that's my golf club well it's most golf club committees isn't it I mean I've been lucky to be a member of a few different golf clubs from different parts of the world where I've lived and uh, it's the same everywhere it's a group of retired people most of the time bored trying to make some excitement for themselves um, and what they don't realise they're doing is in certain instances they can absolutely destroy what was a great, you know, institution of, you know, a community or local sporting uh, sporting hub and they just, just run it into the ground. Yeah, I think there's a, the, 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 yeah, I mean, definitely, I definitely think that and there's some, like, so many committees I've seen in golf clubs or and we get so many messages about, oh, the committee's doing this, the committee's doing that and it's so illogical and, I think negligence of a committee that don't know what they're doing is one thing, um, and that is bad and needs sorting out. Um, but then there's, uh, you know, sabotage from someone. Oh, like Swinton's, in a, Swinton's the Champions a whole, League of sabotage, isn't it? Yeah, which is a whole different level. And mm. I just kind of think to myself with these people, like, how can you show your face, especially if it's in a small community, you know, like in Penrith or something, how can you show your face down the local pub or around the town if you've fucked over this many people? I don't know how you do it. Like, it's called being a first-class narcissist, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd have a load of money. Just, I don't know. You just, well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you look. You just got to take it back to just the general committee kind of crack. It's very common that uh, golf club committees are run by people that have either a got a lot of money, so you know, whatever happens doesn't really affect them, you know, and their little lives. Yeah. Because they have that financial security or that the ability to go and join somewhere else or maybe they're a member of a few different clubs. And then the second one would be, I find, especially in my life, in my previous line of work, when I when I was had a real job and I wasn't a caddy, um, a lot of these people tend to be like ex-council workers. Um, and we all know, well, well, especially people in what I used to do when I was a, like a town planner, urban planning advisor, um, People that generally work in councils or in departments that are hidden within councils and the bureaucratic systems that are there, very little accountability in these jobs and in these roles. And they grow up and move through their lives 
with very little accountability for their actions. And therefore, when they get to a position where they can actually have some form of influence and power, and that might well be a golf club committee, they think that that accountability still doesn't lie with them. And the decisions that they then get to make because they're in this position of power actually has massive impact on people's lives or on, on the golf club or the institution that they're in some form of control of. And uh, I don't think they quite realise really um, you know, what, what, what they've got themselves into. Um, and I'd just say that with reference to, to, to my old golf club, Penrith, uh, prior to a big shift in how the club was run, you know, Penrith's a little market town and the guys there, the guy that used to do the books, uh, the accountant, he he's, uh, runs a very successful clothing company in the middle of town. Everybody else on the committee had their own businesses. It was all individuals that had successful businesses in towns that then in turn ran a golf club like a ship, like a tight ship. And yeah, yeah. the chairman of the golf club was a former policeman, former uh, inspector, you know, so everything was run very, very well. And then, you know, a few people step aside, get a bit too old for things or want to just take a break from it all. And then, you know, a new, new raft of people came in that had come from, say, you know, either a more corporate or a more um, in Penrith's place, like a council background. And then these people get basically see all the money in the account and go, oh, we can get this biomass boiler that actually has ended up costing the golf club more money than it needed to. Or we can get these, we can do that, we can streamline this, we can redecorate the clubhouse. And all of a sudden there's no money left and they're having to sell off land to keep the club afloat. And they've annoyed yeah. all the members in the time. In the meantime, <laughs> yeah, I guess I it, it's a it's a tricky one. I, I guess some people think like their golf club's almost like there forever. I couldn't ever go anywhere, you know. Mm. I think of my golf club back home, and it's, it's been there since eighteen ninety two or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and they think it can't go anywhere, but it wouldn't take much to fuck a lot of these places over, you know. Um, it it would only take a couple of dodgy people on the committee or. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'll talk about Penrith again, just because I can speak from experience there. Um, one guy came in and got rid of, it was a really simple thing. I know it's an expensive thing, but he came in and got rid of Sky TV. Now, the golf club in Penrith is on top of the hill. It's out of town. And it used to have, used to be probably the best social club in the whole of Cumbria. And it was, you know, renowned for creating a great group of blokes that were committed to playing in all the tournaments uh, would travel around the county playing in scratch team matches, representing the club in all these different tournaments and, you know, of all all abilities. I'm not just talking about the, the better golfers in the club. And the best thing about the place, mate, was on a Sunday afternoon, um, after you played the Sunday medal, you sat down at two o'clock and you had your afternoon, you know, they put a carvery on it, they had some food on, and you sat there and you watched TV with the boys, played snooker, you know, some of you would be drinking, some of you would just be driving home, but there was a real good buzz about the place. And that was because the hub of it was Sky Sports. You could watch the end of the golf on a Sunday. You could watch, you know, your four o'clock kickoff. And it was an amazing place to be. And then, you know, if you so wish, you could get a taxi into town and carry on into the night. But it was the start of everything. And then, you know, when certain people get on the committee and take away this because they say it costs too much money. Well, I'll tell you what's cost them more money is not having a soul in the clubhouse because no one wants to go in anymore because they Get, get out of the golf club. So get, get off the golf course, hand the card in, get in the car and go home or go to a pub in town um, that's showing that. And there's a couple of pubs in town that have essentially become the clubhouses of those golf clubs, so of, of the golf club because of because of that one man's decision to, to, to take, say, something as simple as Sky Television out and it cost the club everything. Oh, yeah. I, I'd imagine, I mean, to me, like, you're a sports club at the end of the day. 
a golf club, you're a sports club. So pretty much, you know, I don't know how a percentage, but a very high percentage of golf clubs are going to be a high amount of males, a high amount of males that like sport and a high amount of males that like golf who will like football, which is on on a Sunday. Drinking whilst watching it. (laughs) Drinking whilst watching football. So your return on investment on Sky Sports in pretty much every golf club must surely, and I'm saying this without ever seeing, well, without seeing a balance sheet of a golf club or what have you, but to me it's... expensive because it goes on the rateable value, the Sky. So Republicans will be listening to this now and some some Sky bills can be astronomical. It can be, it can put people nearly, you know, can question whether or not it's worth having the business but something like a golf club that is a non-for-profit organization yes it must tick over but something like you know we, we propose as a membership you could do charity days you know like you do your texas scrambles and things like that and get open tournaments and you have the charity as the golf club and this texas scramble or you know your raffle prize for your free membership for the year we did that one year that was quite a cool idea you got 100 squares and you bought a square for 50 quid or something you know, and it raised a lot of money for the club, but it also gave, you know, two people or three people a year's free membership, which was a great idea. And it raised money for the club that actually ended up paying for new curtains or something. But um, it just goes to show you, you can actually, you can create that value from within to pay for these assets and then keep the club running there. But uh, obviously, maybe some people don't quite have the foresight that others do. Well, I've seen, you know, there's golf clubs. To me, like a golf club should be treated, yeah, should be treated like a bar or a restaurant that just happens to have a golf course. Yeah, um, you know, um, and that and that should include getting women in there and getting like getting having a I don't know a crash or somewhere where the kids can. Play yeah, or whatever. to be fair to Penrith Golf Club, they got rid of the men's room because they thought that was progressive, and that's a great. That was a. You know, we used to call it, it just used to be called the swearing room, to be honest. Um, but they got rid of the, officially got rid of the men's room. So then it just became another lounge area and the snooker table was still in there. I've not been back up for a while, so I'm not quite sure if it's still there. But it, you know, it didn't create any problems. No one really cared. You know, none of the men really complained because ultimately they'd still go in that same room and watch the television. And soon after the sky got took out. But little things like that, the progressive movements, I think were working great. And it just meant more people could come in and watch the football or watch the, watch the end of the golf but um but yeah just uh, i just don't like the lack of foresight sometimes with these people and with the golf clubs okay that was the first hour with ollie briggs hopefully you enjoyed that if you did pop a pop over to our uh, Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash the club golf. Um, and li- you can listen to the full podcast and the back catalogue of all full podcasts um, that we do in this series. Like I say, it's the cost of a pint, um, even less than the cost of a pint if you live in London or near. And you will get basically all the podcasts we do. for So a couple of extra hours of podcast recordings per month uh, for the cost of a pint. Um, if you don't, if you don't fancy it or you don't want to pay, that's fine. You can just uh, listen to the um, two podcasts a month that will come out um, an hour each on both. So uh, cheers, head over there, and thanks for listening. <laughs>